Back in 2012, there was a young 19-year-old guy named Dakota Guerin. Uh, lived out in Washington, just north of Portland. And he did a job, a little small job for a lady in her home. And he happened to notice that she had a very big coin collection. Actually, as it turns out, the coin collection was worth $100,000. Well, Dakota Guerin, this young man, uh, stole it. Now, the police quickly moved in and, you know, he was charged, but he denied everything. He said, you can't prove anything. And so it was for a short time. But then just a little while later, he bought some pizza with his girlfriend and he paid off the pizza with a quarter. And one quarter uh, was a Liberty quarter that happened to be worth $18,500. That was quite a pizza. So I say all that to say this. It's clear that he was confused about the values of the coin collection. They went on to find he was literally spending the coins at face value. So a quarter that might have been worth, in this case, 18000 he's spending and he's only getting 25 cents. Now here's where it gets serious. Um, a loving God, a loving Father, has you and I here today, this moment here today, because the likelihood is uh, some of us are confused about what really matters. We, we may be convinced that we're clear about what really matters, what's really valuable, but a loving father wants to try to get us to take a second look at that today. So in this series of messages 2020, we've said that we, we wanted to provide, if possible, for you a good start to this new year. Um, to give you a clear vision to see things as they really are, the way that God sees them. We started out by a message that was about clarifying our past, and then we went on to clarifying our present, and then even our future. Last week, we looked at clarifying our vision. You know, what do we believe is true about life? What, what constructs our picture of reality? From last week's message, what we believe to be true, the truths about life, that should help us for today's message, what really matters. Once I have a clear picture of what I believe is true about life, that will guide me into determining what really matters and what may not matter. Now, and this whole, this whole subject of what matters, what is valuable, it's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, one of the things that determines how you and I feel about what is valuable or what matters is the culture that we grow up in. Today, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, there will be commercials, and we're all familiar with the Super Bowl commercials. And a commercial today, 30-second commercial, costs five and a half or $5.6 million. $5.6 million. So there are people that believe a 30-second commercial is worth $5.6 million. By, by the way, uh, the viewership was only like $98 million last year. It was down from 11 years, uh, the lowest in 11 years. Nevertheless, they still believe it's this valuable. Now, the, by the way, the same commercial, if you show it on an individual cable station, the very same 30-second commercial on an individual cable station, anybody want to make a guess on, on how much they would have to pay for getting that commercial run? $10. I kid you not. Look it up. $10. But they're going to pay $5.6 million. So culture, culture defines a lot of times. Culture brainwashes us about what's important, what really matters, what you have to have, what you should pursue, what you should give your time and energy and passion toward. The other thing that controls how you and I determine what really matters is context. 
Let me show you what I mean by context. Uh, imagine, imagine for a moment I had two things on the stage. I had a 10-gallon jug of water on one side, and on the other side of me, I open up a suitcase, and in the suitcase, I have a million dollars. It's real money, million dollars. And I ask you, which do you want? I'll give you either one you want. You can have the 10 gallons of water, or you can have the million dollars. How many think you know what you would pick? Can I see your hands? Now make sure you're tracking with me. Is there anybody that would pick the 10 gallons of water? You would? No, don't do that. You need the million dollars in this context, okay? You need the million dollars. You can buy lots of water with a million dollars, trust me. However, let me transport you now. You're in the Sahara Desert. You have had a wreck. You have been lost for four days. You are literally dying of thirst. You are about to expire because of a lack of water and hydration. And I sit before you the million dollars in the suitcase or the 10-gallon water. Now you're right on target, <laughs> okay? You see how context changes value? So culture exerts a force that kind of messes with our minds about what's important and what's not important, context. But then, then and this is where we got to get our hearts and our minds, then there are some things that are just intrinsically valuable. In other words, they're just valuable because of their very nature. What is the most valuable commodity, if you want to look at it as a commodity, in the whole world? What do you suppose it is? Yeah, you're looking, all you got to do is look around you. That person sitting next to you is intrinsically valuable. You say, how valuable, Randy? They're, they're so valuable that the creator thought them up in eternity past, brought them into existence, has been with them Every second of their life, whether they cared for him or not, and that same creator wanted to express the fullness of his devotion to them by suffering a sacrificial death on the cross because of sin in the world, their sin, everybody's sin, and he wants so desperately to abolish sin, the sin that's cursing you, cursing me, cursing our world, breaking our hearts, breaking our lives, that he went to the cross to prove the depths of his love and trustworthiness, and that person sitting next to you, that person that you may think is just kind of ordinary, they're so so valuable. Therefore, the first thing that you and I can get our heads around is that if we're going to invest our lives in that which really matters, that which is eternally important, the only thing that's going to go from this world into eternity are humans. Maybe pets too. I hope, I hope, I hope. <laughs> so this just kind of gets us started on trying to figure this thing out of what's really important. Now, there's lots of voices, and they confuse us, and they affect us more than we are able at times to understand the way they're affecting us, but affect us, they do. So let's analyze. Let's pull back a minute, and let's analyze what's important. Listen to these words from Jesus. Mark 8, 36. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, meaning you get power, you get popularity, you get celebrity, you get fame, you get fortune, you get pleasure, you get all the possessions you want. You've got it all. You're, you're beyond Bill Gates is what he's trying to express. Everything that a human being can have in this very short life, you have it, you have it. And he says, what if you gain the whole world but you lose or loses his own soul? And Jesus' implication is that the human soul is worth more 
your inner true self is worth more than the whole world, he's also implying that if you push, if you run for, if you chase, all that this present world will dangle like a carrot before your face and my face, chances are, chances are, you'll slowly but surely, you'll lose your soul. Folks, let me just explain something to you. This is not talking about in Judgment Day. I, I meet people. I've talked with people. You know people that are just about soulless. They're almost living on the level of a beast of instinct. They're just living for the next pleasure, the next experience, the next possession. They have no soul or very little soul left in them. They're not manifesting the image of God, their creator, the way that we were intended to. They're losing, they're losing their humanity in little chunks at a time. And it all comes from pursuing a false value system. Now, a well-known theological thinker said the following. Money is like everything. Money is like sex. It's like food. They're all manifestations of God. They're blessings that we get, but they're not what's going to what? Make us happy. The person goes on. They're not real. They don't last. There's only one thing that lasts. That's your soul. That aligns with what Jesus said. And if you don't work on that and you don't pay attention to that, then all the money in the world is not going to help you. This person says one more thing, I believe. That's who it is. <laughs> now, the irony is her whole life has been misinvested according to what she just said. So here's a person that gives, should give you and I a pause that up here, up here we can kind of think we understand what matters, what's really valuable, but not in actuality be living in accordance, in a, in a proper alignment, in a proper pursuit with what really matters. And so let's just stop right now and let's, let's pause. How confident are you? How confident are you? And I don't know how old you are. We're all different ages in here. How confident are you that up to this point you have wisely invested your life and you're quite comfortable with if judgment were today and you had to give an accounting to a loving God but a fair God about how you've invested your life would you feel really confident and comfortable with that and maybe I'd follow up with a second. If so, why? What makes you confident of that? Maybe the rest of the message will help you to assess that a little bit better. In the book of 1 John chapter 2, the apostle John, the last living apostle, he dies on the Isle of Patmos. Um, he says this, he says, do not love this world. He doesn't mean people. He's talking about the system of things. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements, and what? Possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. 
So what, what John is saying is something you hear me often say. When a human being is disconnected from their creator and disconnected from his promises and his view of life, we default to this. Self-preservation drives us. We, we don't know how long we're going to live, but we want to live as long as we can. Self-preservation becomes the number one driving force in our life. Number two driving force is self-gratification. While I'm here, I want to be as happy as I can. I want to live as long as I can, and I want to be as happy as I can. Therefore, any kind of pleasures that life offers me, I'm going to take some risks and dabble in them. And multitudes of human beings, they're living for that. And that's what John was saying. John's saying that these things that the world as a society values they value it because they're all living in desperation they don't know who they are they don't know why they're here they don't know that they're created by a loving creator they don't know that they were destined for an eternal wonderful position and life in a place where there's no sin sorrow sickness pain or death and that this life was meant to be a developmental journey whereby we return to our creator in trust and then after that we start to grow and develop and become fully human and fully alive become the christ-like version of ourselves we were meant to folks i'm telling you if you don't have that nailed down if you don't know the purpose of your life yet and if you're not pursuing the purpose of your life yet which is to become a christ-like version of yourself first and foremost you're going to have a skewed value system I can promise you that I can promise you and a loving God is here today trying to get us all to take a closer look at what our value system really really has been really really is did an interesting study um, at uh, Harvard and it was about wealthy people and the study concluded this 2018, Harvard Business School undertook a first-of-a-kind study over 4,000 millionaires in the United States, asking them about how much money it would take to make them happy. Now, before we go to the other slide, millionaires, 4,000, how much money would it take to make them happy? How many think that most of them said, I'm good, man. I'm a millionaire. I'm good. How many of you, if you were a millionaire, would say, I'm good? Can I see your hands? <laughs> You sure you know yourself that well? Here's what the study concluded. It didn't matter if they had 100 million, 500 million, 10 million, 1 million. On average, they all said this. Perhaps most surprising of all, the answer was consistent. No matter how much money a person had, this means that someone with 100 million was just as likely as a person with 10 million to select. They needed 10 times more of the money they had to be truly what? Happy. The carrot just keeps getting a little further. You just, you just keep chasing. You chase. Here's what happens. You live, you, you're a millionaire. You move into a neighborhood of millionaires. But they have, they have hundreds of millions. You only have one million. So you're poverty stricken compared to them. So you need about ten times more to feel better and have the right things and be able to go to the right vacations and so forth and so on. It's, you just keep chasing it. You just keep chasing it. So they did a study. Uh, well, excuse me, let, let, let me share a verse with you, and then I'll go to one more study they did. 1 Corinthians 7.31, and th this is such a powerful verse if you, if you just let it sink in. Those who use the things of this world should not become, what does it say? Attached, Attached to them. You've heard the old cliche, you never see a hearse pulling, you know, a U-Haul at a funeral. 
Everything that you and I have, we're going to leave behind. Nothing, nothing are we taking with us except our soul, our character, and this is where it's important, the souls of others that we have righteously, lovingly impacted. We, we might be able to bring other human beings with us on the journey. But look at what it says. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. In other words, they're saying we, we, we need to hold on to everything we have in this world very, very loosely. Don't get attached to it. Are you attached to anything? What might you what possession might you be attached to? If you had to suddenly take an enormous step back, would you, would you be okay? I mean, of course you don't want to. None of us want to. But would you be okay? Or, or has your soul become entwined around a certain lifestyle, uh, a certain possession or set of possessions? Did a study at Yale. In fact, they, they ran a class at Yale in 2017, and it was about happiness. It became the most popular class that Yale has ever run. More students wanted to know about how do you get happiness than anything else. Laurie Santos concluded this. She teaches psychology there. She teaches the course that the things, excuse me, says that the things that Yale graduates most associate with achieving happiness is a high-grade, a prestigious internship, a good paying job, do not, but, but she says these things do not increase happiness at all. Uh, she goes on to say this. Scientists didn't realize this in the same way 10 years or so ago. Our intuitions about what will make us happy, like winning the what? Lottery. But if you win the lottery, it's okay. As <laughs> long as you tithe. <laughs> Anybody... <laughs> Anybody know what the word tithe means? Tithe, it's interesting. No, it's not like a detergent, man. It means like you give your first 10% of your income to God. I, I, I do that and go over that, and I'm sure you do too, right? You all give your first 10% or more to, to the kingdom of God's work. I, well, that's another, another message. Let me go back to Laurie. Our intuitions about what will make us happy, like winning the lottery and getting a good grade, are totally what? We know this stuff. How many stories do we need of people that are rich and famous and powerful and attractive and intelligent and they think they look like they have it all and then we read story after story after story. They're addicted to drugs. They're suicidal. They're miserable. I mean, you know, it's, it's just the case. Here's the thing. Human beings, we, we have the capacity to settle. We have the capacity for, to settle and trick ourselves to think we will be satisfied with very little. But it doesn't last very long because we're complex beings. We're made in the image of God and our desires go right into eternity. Our desires are heaven high. Our desires are for nothing short than perfect love, perfect relationships, perfect health, perfect circumstances. Therefore, we are very hard ultimately. We can settle and be satisfied and content for a short period of time, but ultimately we're very hard to fulfill because our desires stretch beyond into eternity. We, we know we were meant for something more, something better. Therefore, we should use these understandings to, to allow ourselves to walk softly and stay detached uh, 
from the things that the, the most people in our culture chase very hard. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis, Christian writer. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. He goes on. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which can make him happy. Now understand what C.S. Lewis is saying. C.S. Lewis isn't saying you just stand there and think about God all the time. That makes you happy. He's saying God and all that God wants to bring, that eternally wonderful world that he intended for us to experience and that he promises those that will return to him in trust will someday experience. He's saying that you really can't have happiness in the purest, longest, uh, lasting sense apart from God. So, We've spent some time now analyzing what's important. Now, the second part of this is where it gets tricky. This is where I tend to get off and, and I'm constantly having to figure things and re-examine them and make adjustments and probably don't do the greatest job. You're going to have to be willing to do the same thing too, and it's this. We may know up here what's important, but it's getting the structure of our lives, the routines in our lives, the schedules in our lives to support the things that we really believe in our hearts are most important. That is really very hard. And it always needs adjusting because there's different seasons in life and different sets of responsibilities at different times and different circumstances. And, and so this is something we have to prayerfully just keep working through with God. But there are some fundamentals that can guide us in this. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 6. He said, don't worry and ask yourselves, Will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? It goes on. These things dominate the thoughts of who? The people that are still not reconciled to God. They haven't returned to Christ their creator in trust. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God. What does it say? That's a value. Above all else what does it mean to seek the kingdom of god it doesn't mean just to seek to enter it it means seek to further it invest your life in it the kingdom of god is the rule of god over human hearts and we can invest in this by first of all letting god rule completely in our heart and life in each and every area but then seeking to reconcile others to to be those that invest in the lives of other and in, in others and invite others to something as simple as a church service that they might hear the truth about God's love for them. So he says, first, above all else, and then he says, add to that, live righteously, and he will what? Give you everything you need. Give you everything you need. You don't have to worry if you seek first his kingdom and live righteously. That's a promise. Now, this gives us a value system that I should prioritize, and this is where it gets tricky, prioritizing what's important. It's not about analyzing and knowing what's important. It's about prioritizing, creating the structures, the routines, the rhythms to make sure that what I know is important stays, stays actually important in the way that I invest my time and my talents and my treasure and my energy. Here's another one. Helps us in this. The Apostle Paul he speaks about his own life. He says, but whether I live or die is not important, for I don't esteem my life as indispensable. It's, what does he say? More important. He's setting values. He's saying it's more important, more important than his life. It's more important for me 
to what? Fulfill my, come on, y'all with me? Fulfill my destiny. You got a destiny. You got a God-given destiny. It's a beautiful thing to have a God-given destiny. It's not the same as Paul's. It's not the same as mine's. Mine's not the same as yours. He says, it's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me. You have a destiny. You have a ministry assigned to you. I have one assigned to me. We all have to know that. And Paul says that ministry, that destiny, fulfilling it, giving ourselves up for it if necessary, is more important than life itself. He goes on to say, which is to faithfully. He knew what his was. His was to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. He's giving us clarity about what's important, the kingdom of God. What's important, fulfilling your God-given destiny and ministry. Look at another passage. Philippians 1.20, Paul writing this, he says, My deep desire and hope is that I shall never fail in my duty, but that at all times, and especially right now, he says especially right now because he was in jail when he wrote Philippians, and he didn't know if Nero was going to execute him or not. He didn't know if he was going to live or die. And especially right now, I shall be full of courage so that with my whole being, I shall bring honor to Christ whether I what? Here he goes again, whether I live or I die. That should be, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, that should be my value, one of my prime values, and yours. That everywhere I go, everything I do, anyone that meets me, every situation in life, every context in life, whether it's the good times or the hardest times, that people will see in me a human being that has such trust in Christ, such adoration for him and for righteousness, that it causes them to pause and maybe even attracts them to to the truth about life, which is Christ. That, that Christ is honored in my life, no matter what. That that should be one of our highest values above our comfort, that we have courage to see that Christ is honored in our life. Here's another. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and this is where we get ready to land a plane. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, stand strong. This is not going to be easy because our society pushes a different value system down our throats day and night. We're the first generation that's ever had to live with technology and media. We, we are tempted in ways, mentally especially and emotionally, unlike any generation that's ever lived. And so to stand strong is not going to be easy for us, but it is possible or God wouldn't have put this verse in there so my dear brothers and sisters stand strong do not let anything move you culture is going to try to move me and move you how many of you have ever seen a dog that chases cars you ever seen that you ever think that through <laughs> I mean what if he catches it what's he going to do is he going to drive it <laughs> is he going to hold the people hostage? I mean, folks, this is the same kind of thing that can happen for or happen to us. Our society keeps dangling these carrots. It, it keeps running these cars by, wanting us to chase them. Say, so, come on, you need to chase. Everybody's chasing this. Everybody wants this. Everybody needs this. You should have this. You should sell your soul for this. You should take whatever risk you need to take. You should lay down your life. You should lay down your family. Lay down your marriage for this. You, you need this. You deserve this. 
Pursue that dream of yours. Don't let anybody stop you from pursuing that dream. That dream of yours. Oh, man. Oh, man. If you fulfill that dream, you're going to, you're going to what? You're going to be like that dog that catches the car. You're going to find, huh, that wasn't it either. I wonder what it is I'm looking for. Man, you're looking for the kingdom of God. You're looking for a life and an existence in a world that only God can bring. Only Christ manifested. That's what you're looking for. Don't be deceived. Don't be the dog chasing the car. Let's go on. It says, do not let anything move you. Always, notice, always, good seasons, bad seasons, difficult times, good times. Always give yourselves how much? Fully, fully. I'm giving it everything. I'm going to give everything all the time to the work of, what does it say? That's value. That's a value system. We've just looked at some, some clear values. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, seek to bring honor to Christ in every situation. Fulfill your God-given destiny and ministry and mission. Above all, above your life. Here, always, always, fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Why should we do this when no one else in the world seems to be concerned about this when the masses of people don't seem to be concerned when the best and the brightest don't seem to be concerned about this when the people in my family and the people in your circle of influence are not concerned about this, why should you be why should you be concerned about this why should you give yourself to this when others are not giving themselves to this because because you know that your work in the Lord is what? It's going to carry into eternity. It's going to matter in eternity. And that gets back to last week's messages, message. What do you believe? What do I believe? Do I believe that there will be a judgment and a reward for faithfulness? Do I believe that there's a new heaven and new earth that Christ is going to create where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death, where the deepest longings and desires of your heart and my heart and every heart will finally be fully and forever fulfilled? Do we believe that? Because if we do, then giving ourselves always fully to the work of the Lord makes complete perfect sense you say but man what, what is the work of the lord well the work of the lord happens in all of our activities it, it happens in your family it happens amongst your friends it happens in your place of work it happens here in the church there's all kinds of opportunities here in the church for participation in the work of the lord it happens like i said earlier when you invest in somebody that god has entrusted in your circle of influence and you just care for them you just love them and you take those risks to speak to them about what Christ is doing in your life, and you invite them to church can be the most powerful, life-changing thing in their life. You're giving yourself to the work of the Lord. You're giving your time. You give your talent. You give your treasure to the work of the Lord. This is how we participate always fully in the work of the Lord. Are you right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, but just, just let the question set in. Are you fully giving your life to the work of the Lord? And this doesn't mean living abnormally. You give your life to the work of the Lord, like I say, when you're at home and you're just kind and loving and righteous and good to your family and, and to your friends and your work associates. When, I mean, you know, the work of the Lord is, is it's just being normal if you're a Christ follower. So these are values 
that God says will matter. They will matter now. Now, now, now here's the catch. Here's the catch to this whole thing. Here's the truth. If I were to give you the formula, the formula, the secret formula for the best life ever in this world, because this world is tough. It's not going to be easy on anybody. But if I were to give you the formula for the best life ever in this world, do you know what it would be? It would be this. Keep your life centered, united with Christ. Everywhere you go all the time, keep your mind and your heart joined to Christ. Live with Christ all the time. Second part of the formula, live for Christ all the time. And you will discover that will lead you into the best life that any human being can ever have, even in this tough world. There's a guy named Chuck Colson. Some of you know about him, some of you don't. He was uh, in the Nixon administration and went to jail for Watergate. But he became a true Christian. Nobody, nobody believed it. They all doubted his conversion in 1973. August of 1973, he was converted. But he volunteered to make a guilty plea and go to jail when everybody else in the Watergate you know, mess was running for the hills. He came out of there, and in 1976, he started a prison mission fellowship, and he served that prison mission fellowship for 36 years till the end of his life in 2012 at age 80. Chuck Colson proved to be the real deal. He changed his value system completely. He lived out his entire life for what really mattered, not fame, not power, not fortune. He saw the shallowness, the emptiness of all that. He lived his last years in Naples, Florida. And in Naples, Florida, if you've ever been there, it's kind of this you know, place for the hotsy-totsies of the world. You know, the, the big CEOs, when they retire, they all want to go to Naples, Florida because it's got like 27 golf courses, pristine beaches, and the best country clubs, you know, in the whole United States. And so he talks about mingling with these powerful CEOs, these people that have been movers and shakers for many, many years. But now, now they've got it made they're retired, and they can just live the life, right? Here's what Colson says. I often say to them, do you really want to live your life counting up the number of times you chase that little white ball around the greens? And they kind of chuckle, but it's a nervous chuckle. Because in six months, they realize, they've realized how banal, is that how you pronounce that, banal? Anybody know? How banal their lives are. I should have looked it up on Google. I will look that up for the next service. <laughs> and they've got beautiful homes, castles. And when they get bored with that, they build bigger, a bigger castle. And they're miserable. The object of life, listen to what he says. The object of life is not what we think it is. What matters is not what we think matters, not what our society tells us matters, which is to achieve money, power, pleasure. That's not the holy grail. The object of life is the what? The maturing of your soul. That means I am becoming who God created, to me, created me to become. I'm becoming more like Christ in every day, in every circumstance. And I'm doing what God created me to do. That's what a maturing soul is, and that is the secret. It's the secret of fulfillment of the highest sort. It's the secret of the best life you can have in this world, being the best mom, the best dad, the best friend, the best employee, employer. And it's the secret of keeping our value systems appropriate. 
Let me close by asking this. Is your belief system, your vision of life, the basis of your values? Or are your values just happenstance? They've just been kind of inherited as you've lived in society. If that's your case, I am begging you to get along with God and take a careful look at what are your real values, what really matters to you, what does evidence show really matters to you. Second question, have each of us done sufficient work, or let me rephrase that, could each of us, would each of us be wise if we would take some time to assess if our priorities, if our schedules, if our routines, if our rituals are supporting providing the time, providing the energy, supporting what we believe really, truly matters. Because that's where we tend to go astray. And that needs adjusting throughout life. So can we all agree that we will, we'll, we'll do this? We'll take a look and make sure our values are consistent with what God says is valuable and that our, that our priorities are supporting what God says is valuable. I hope you will. I hope you'll take that to heart. Let's pray. Father, please, that none of us will misinvest our lives only to find out too late, too late, we have miserably misinvested this great, incredible gift of life that you entrust to each of us. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.